This is the Office Manager Diaries, a podcast all about the highs and the lows of professionals in office management around the world. We'll delve into their career journeys and diaries where they'll share their stories, tips for success and only things office managers understand. Enjoy and please remember to give us a follow. Hello everybody, welcome to the next episode of the Office Manager Diaries. It's your host Hannah Gray here from the Office Management Group. I'm really excited today because I'm joined by somebody I've got to know quite well over the last few months, Katie Overton, who is the Senior Business Support Manager at Big Society Capital. Hi there, Katie. Hi Hannah, thanks for having me. Pleasure, thank you for giving up your time. I know because we just have spoken just before we've started hitting record that you are incredibly busy at the moment and we've talked about all the things that we're busy with and I would love for you to share some of that. So how are things going for you at present and how are you finding the role and how long have you been at Big Society Capital for now? Yeah, so um, in terms of Big Society Capital and my role there, I've been there five years. In my current role, I've been doing it since April 22, though. I started off five years ago as an administrator and then over that time have progressed, took on a senior admin role and then management of the admin function. And then last year got the opportunity to move over and have a wider dual role. So I still coordinate the admin provision for the organisation, but I also now manage the office space and the office facilities. And uh, yeah, how am I finding it? So with with any kind of role, any kind of office management kind of role, it's quite busy. But with the dual aspect of the role, it's quite sort of challenging at certain times because you've got reactive work on the office management side that needs immediate attention. But then obviously there's also the project based work that I deal with. So, yeah, it's it's finding a balance between the two and making them both work. It does sound really busy and incredibly challenging. So how are you overcoming those challenges? How are you resolving it between, like you say, the dual role, which almost has several aspects to it of being a line manager, overseeing that administrative function, the office management piece, plus then the projects and the proactives and the reactives in that? How do you overcome all of that workload? Yeah, so also another thing um, which is probably a bit of a curveball to my situation as well is that over that time, over the last 12, 13 months, I've also been developing a team. So I recently had a team member join to support on the office facilities side of things. So going through a process at the moment of onboarding my team member and it is getting easier and, and she's a great support. So obviously that will improve over time, but actually have the extra support which will then allow me to free up time to focus on uh, more of the project-based tasks so I'm very much still in a bit of a transition period but it's one of those where if I need to spin multiple plates then I'll just do it and it's just about prioritizing what is the necessary so for example if I'm in the office I know that I'm going to be dealing with office related circumstances people you know when they see you they want to be asking you questions all of the other things that are project-based or that are desk-based I do when I'm working from home so the great thing about Big Society Capital is we have a hybrid working policy I work from home a couple of days a week and that allows me time to get my head down but also then when you're in the office it allows that time and space where you feel as though you can dedicate to 
to connecting with people to sorting out issues on the ground love that it it's um it's funny isn't it because this hybrid model isn't for everybody but actually when i was at berenberg and working from home maybe once in a blue moon like once or twice a month we didn't have a hybrid model as such it was just sometimes i would just say right i just need that day because when you are that person and you literally are that heart and that glue and all the things we talk about in these office management roles all it takes is for you to walk from your desk to the toilet and go past 20 people's desks and it's like hannah 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 or i used to take prior to sort of having better phones i used to take um a notepad like just a mini you know, those tiny tiny little notepads that you can get and pen and put them in my pocket I always made sure I had pockets no matter what I was wearing I was like I must have pockets or like a builder's belt <laughs> didn't really do that but like bum bag thing or something I was thinking about one time but always made sure I'd have pockets have my little notebook so that if someone was like Hannah Hannah Hannah, Hannah I could just write it down yeah I'll, I'll come back to you or I would say to them, send me an email and I'll you know I'll come back to you or I'll come see you after whatever but you do just get harangue like the whole time you're in that office so it is important to have that like you say downtime get your head down space and time because you just don't feel like you get things done otherwise that you're you're smashing through like you say the project work so tell me about big society capital what does the company do and um what sort of things do the staff do to support the running of the business Big Society Capital is the UK's leading social impact investor and our mission is to grow the amount of money in tackling social issues in the UK. We invest our own capital and also help others invest for impact too. And this sees us supporting some amazing charities and social enterprises up and down the country. And one of the great things about working there is that staff are incredibly mission aligned and we're encouraged to find ways to connect to our mission, whether that's making use of volunteering days, visiting frontline charities and social enterprises to see the impact being created right through to running charity events. And I recently coordinated a staff cycle event where we took over the ground floor reception of our building and convinced some of the other tenanted floors to get involved. And that was collectively riding over 300 miles in a few hours. And we raised money for a brilliant charity which provides bikes and cycling lessons to refugees. We also run staff bake-offs where colleagues can bake and bring and they get scored, they win a small prize. I really see you make it competitive. Not all of them are competitive, but we try different things to engage our team, which have elements uh, from fundraising through to awareness raising. And last month we had a special visit from Monty, the Australian Labradoodle, uh, who is a therapy dog that visits care homes. And we ran that event as part of Mental Health Awareness Week. Yeah, it's, it sounds so important. And it's kind of that core of your culture and living and breathing what you do in big society capital as part of your mission, like you say. But it's nice that you get involved in that and can be creative coming up with ideas and and like you say all these different challenges and ways to get staff to interact but all for a good cause at the end of the day as well it's uh, those kind of elements of of our roles I really enjoy do you find the same yeah, I love it yeah and I think yeah you've hit the nail on the head where it is about that thing of bringing staff together and the cohesion and the collaboration and even though it might be seen as uh, quite a social 
interactive event actually it is about staff coming into the office come out of covid and we do have this hybrid approach but we and you know it wasn't easy for us to come out of that it was a it was an adjustment as i think that it has been for a lot of organizations but we one of the things with my role that's really interesting as well is that i can look to see what kind of physical events I can do in the office to bring people together so another thing that I ran recently was we did a week-long B Corp breakfast so this is where I went out researched all of the different B Corp brands that do breakfast food related items and then yeah we had a, a B Corp themed breakfast for that week so yeah there's lots of kind of different things to try and get people involved and uh, enjoying being in the office space and making it work for them let's talk about that now how are you finding this you know kind of whole new era of hybrid working and what is the strategy where you are and how are you supporting that so you've talked already about trying to get people back in into the office how is that going down and what's the response like and Again, maybe what are your challenges around that with all that of your team? So I would say we started January this year. It was still pretty low in terms of numbers across regular days. But now we've got up to the point where we've got really good attendance um, across a number of days. You know, we do have certain days of the week that are busier than others. So, for example, Wednesdays were really busy. For us, we have some staff that work part time and, and the general crossover day has been a Wednesday, even across them staff. Our quietest day is a Friday. So the challenge is there. We don't have enough desk space for all of the people that we've got in the organisation. So what we do there is try and balance it out. So, for example, on a Wednesday where I could see that there was quite a, a stretch for space on certain days or events, what I've done is help to work with teams to identify which teams are in which days. And then a couple of teams have moved from a Wednesday to a Tuesday, for example, which has uh, freed a bit of space up. Another thing is on a Friday, because we don't have that many people in the office, it, it, it can be very, very low. For example, there we don't have a cleaner on a Friday now. So that's something that I've stopped. So it's just about, you know, thinking really strategically about the space, how it works for people, what we can do as a as an organization to make it work the, in the best possible way for people. But also having that in mind in terms of, you know, the budget side of things, because, you know, there's not any point in paying for something if, if we don't actually need it. Yeah, I think that's the struggle that so many people, and particularly in our roles as office managers, are having where you're being looked at to develop the strategy or own it or manage it or come up with new ideas and ways to get people in slash manage the, the disruption, the team aggro I suppose where people are saying we're not sitting together and we've only come in to sit together and now we can't and all these different kind of battles I suppose that are going on and it it is really helpful to have that strategic view and again to think outside the box and look at it almost bird's eye level and go right how can I move these pieces around to make it work for the business and to um, make the best of the staff because ultimately if they're coming in they they have a reason for coming in and that's likely for the collaboration purposes so yeah it's it's really tricky isn't it and we're all still learning and evolving and trying to to figure figure it out together and continually get feedback on what's working and what's not so it's it's definitely something most people are up against especially as you say with perhaps growth and having limited desks and 
but then yeah your Wednesdays it's these this sort of twat model isn't it that people are talking about the Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and most people are in like London yesterday so it's Friday we're recording this and London yesterday was so busy I guess because the weather's getting better and people are being more social but it just felt manic um and so you you wonder don't you whether with so many people doing hybrid working what would it be like now if you didn't have that would it literally just be shoulder to shoulder everywhere in the streets of London but yeah, yeah it's, it's challenging and I think one another thing um so we are in a tenanted uh, building as well so we have a building management company that we deal with and also some of the things that they're looking at incorporating this year are things like maybe doing an ice cream day in the courtyard or something like that so yeah it's it's trying to look at different kind of things that we can do to um interest people but also bring people together and yeah our focus is making the time that people are in the office valuable and and collaborative then people have got that space to work hybrid yeah absolutely It's Hannah again back with another tip for you this week in our episode of the Office Manager Diaries. This one is another one on health and safety. As promised in the last few episodes, I'm going to share a couple of health and safety tips with you. Some of these are ones that I've typically shared that most people I find in office management roles don't know about. And this week it is all about Legionella and the regulations around water risks and Legionella risks within your office. They're called the L8 regulations here in the HSE um, law in the UK. And we have obligations if we have running water within our demise, within our offices and our, our space that we run within that space, not in common parts that the landlord looks after, to make sure that we're keeping the risks around water safe. Legionnaires is a bacteria that uh, can be contracted through running water and essentially water droplets, a kind of aerated droplets that can be breathed in through our nose and our mouth and get into our lungs. And it can be really quite fatal. It's similar to Pontiac disease and other um, forms of pneumonia. And people have died from it. There's hundreds of people that have died from it all around the world. First discovered, I believe, in America in the 60s at the Legionnaires Club. This uh, basically involves you having to have a water risk assessment done. So if you even have just one tap, one sink in your kitchenette or tea point, whichever you might call it within your office, you still need to manage the risks around this. If you have a shower or sinks that are within the toilets, the WCs within your demise, again, it's all about whether it's in your demise and therefore your responsibility or not, then you need to make sure you have controls in place for Legionnaires. So start with a water risk assessment that will give you a schematic and all sorts of actions that you can take on those taps, those outlets. Toilets do not count here. So taps, showers, if you have boilers, um, condensers on the roof that have water through them, these kind of things, you need to make sure you have uh, risk assessments and then actions and processes in place to look after them. You need to ensure you're appointing a duty holder that has to be a director or partner or someone basically ultimately responsible for health and safety um, 
on the board there and then a responsible person they can be one in the same person or the responsible person can quite typically be you the office manager you cannot outsource either of those roles and then you need to make sure that you're doing your actions so things like flushing the taps if you can't prove that they're being used regularly descaling the taps so that you don't get the scalant on them which can also lead to the breeding of the bacteria and monthly water temperature checks to make sure that the temperature um, there's certain parameters and temperatures that the bacteria loves to breed I think it's around 37 to 45 degrees something like that um, where it really thrives and breeds and multiplies at those temperatures make sure that your taps are outside of those temperatures so that the bacteria can't breed um, dead legs in piping and all sorts of things like this need to be checked and sometimes you'll also need to do water sampling maybe six monthly to send your water from the system off to a lab and make sure that the bacteria is not present so the first step a water risk assessment if you haven't had one done. If you want some contacts, let me know or go onto the portal and look up water risk assessments and I'm sure our consultants will be happy to help you. Can you share something now, please, Katie, from your office manager diary? And as you may have known, because I know you listen to the podcast, the you won't believe it but moment or story. Yeah, so this is one from a previous employer, and I used to support a couple of execs and manage their expenses. And yeah, bundle of receipts I was going through once, and uh, one from a, a very high end lingerie shop with some very expensive lingerie and uh, a battery operated item. And uh, my my initial response was trying to figure out whether whether he had meant to give me the receipt or whether it was an accident. I did sit on it for a while. Um, and I think that the reason that I want to share this story is because it's one of those where you just have to go on good instinct when you're in a working role and figure out sometimes what what is the right course of action. I decided that he had given it to me by mistake and I didn't bother addressing it with him and I put it in the bin oh my I don't think I've lasted much in a while so I mute myself when people are talking generally just in case the dog barks or whatever here but I have tears running down my face <laughs> but it's like it's just the way you say it's some sort of battery operated device because when you said the lingerie I I already sort of Back in like yeah. ah, laughter yeah. and then the <laughs> just nuts mad oh my word so you never spoke of it again never addressed it with him he probably didn't even realize that he'd given you that receipt it was just yeah <laughs> I don't know what I'd have done I don't know if I'd have just casually slipped it back on his desk with like a question mark on it like <laughs> highlights which which line is going under the expense? <laughs> I, Did he also I, I, put batteries on it? I I I, <laughs> I, sp I spent a lot of time thinking, really mulling it over. You know, yeah, people. Hey, I I mean, these things happen. People buy underwear and sex toys. Let's just say it, but uh, we don't necessarily need to know about it of our colleagues, do we? At work. So thank you for sharing that one. I think that's probably my favourite so far. Um, tell me now, Katie, what are the highs in your career and the highlights that you can share with us, please? Oh, I would say the overall highlight for me is 
been at the point where I am in terms of career wise. So I didn't go to university. I didn't even really leave with many GCSEs from school. Uh, probably as an example, I got my English and maths GCSE when I went back to night college when I was in my 30s. And I think the reason that I want to share that is because actually a lot of the time people think, oh, you know, I didn't go to university. You know, I can't do X, Y, Z particular role but actually for me I'm a really practical person and so I've worked very I've worked across so many different areas and and different sectors but always within sort of administration office support office management and for me it's more about the grit and determination that you've got to to pick up a, a new piece of work or a, or a new area so yeah for me it's it's just being able to have uh, developed without going down the traditional route I would say. I really enjoy that piece and and learning that about you because A I think personally university is sometimes overrated. I didn't go so I have a biased view on it but I I personally can't bear it when I see a lot a lot of job specs not just in the sort of administrative and business support functions like PA office manager etc but in a certain other job specs as well where it it says degree is is needed is necessary or whatever and you think why do I need it like you say I'm an incredibly practical person too and I think you can't teach common sense and so many people that are highly intelligent and running these incredibly you know successful businesses have no common sense the way we end up as the people supporting them thinking how do you function outside of this organization (laughs) without your PA or without me as your PA (laughs) and Mm. so it just insane to see that because it doesn't mean you're not capable of doing the jobs that we do just because you don't have a degree and have spent what 50 60 grand I'm so out of touch with it now mm. got yourself into tens of thousands of pounds worth of debt that you didn't actually need to to do this job so I think that's a really important one to highlight and it's not that I've got anything against university of course it we need it certainly for many professions out there but it's um yeah it's a little bit of a taboo one isn't it where I just think why do so many people still get judged or are are unable to apply for certain roles where it's got nothing to do with it with having a degree but they just want to see it on there and yeah I just think it's um it's a little bit old-fashioned really so I'm really proud of you to hear your your side of the story there in terms of where you've come from and where where you are now and who'd have thought maybe when you left school you know with without many GCSEs as you say that you would be here now so it must feel nice looking back and reflecting on that. Yeah and I think also I've got a similar uh, train of thought in terms of degrees and and your point about why they ask for unnecessary qualifications on job specs. I think that the culture is moving in the right direction though with employers now and it is becoming less of a thing where you see that I know in my current organization we are very much about blind recruitment now so for example you don't see a CV at our organization when someone's applying for a role because everyone goes through uh, the same the same process also for example we don't ask for uh, degrees where it's not relevant to the actual role but yeah there are there are still PA jobs that I see come up 
being advertised asking for a two one degree for example and that is just I think where it comes from is people are trying to say we want someone that can learn to this level but actually people learn in different ways and it's not just people that have been through that very structured learning journey um that's that's that capable but yeah yeah and I don't I don't think you can teach experience personally mm. you know I've been working since I was like 14 years old in any any job I could get my hands on and I really don't think you can teach that genuine life experience because some people I've I've interviewed that have come fresh out of university and you know some of them have never worked because they've never needed to for example and they just don't now know how to interact in business so um yeah I, I, it depends of course on what the job is that someone's applying for and what they're um, the company needs rather than wants, I suppose. But I really find that blind recruitment interesting. So you don't see the CV. So someone just comes in for interview, but the person interviewing doesn't get to see the CV ahead of meeting that individual. There's um, a program that we use. So they would answer a set number of questions. So there are questions and answers that the recruitment panel get to see, but they only get to. So, so basically, it's making it a level playing field for everybody that's applying for the job. There isn't any of that background bias about, you know, because you can work out, for example, someone's age on a CV. Mm -hmm. If you if you okay. look at their education, you can see where someone lives. You can see whether they were born in the UK or outside of the UK. So it, it strips all of that away. So you're just left with how someone is applying approached a particular question that you're asking that's relevant to the role that is so clever for diversity you know the DEI the diversity equality and inclusion approach as well which I, I suppose given the nature of your organization is key to to again sort of living and breathing what you do and 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 what you invest in but it's incredibly clever because I see CVs and, and you you do you can't help but have a bias at times for looking at you know how long someone's been in certain jobs for and job hoppers and some of my clients don't want job hoppers they want you know the three to five year minimum things and if someone's just had a bad run you you have that bias they're thinking oh they're just they're not staying but until you have the conversations you don't know what the circumstances were so that is really really clever I, I really like that thank you for sharing so let's talk about you in the future now where do you see yourself career-wise in the next few years and, and beyond? I am one of them people that just does not get on with this answer of where you see yourself in in five years time and I've always been I'm like sorry that. so um, no no but I think but this is like a really honest and maybe this will resonate with some people as well so for me I never I never set out to get into administration I never set out to get into this role that I'm in now it's happened along the way but not because I haven't had better choices or because I, I don't have any other options, but I get into something, I see how I like it, I, I take it down different different routes. And that's what's happened with this role. So I've got quite a lot of scope to get involved in different things. So I really like events management side of things and variety for me is, is the biggest thing. So really, I learn something I get to know it back to front and then I'm interested in in looking at the next thing uh, where I would see my role going uh, the great thing about 
big society capital is uh, that's what I've done since I've been here across the five years I've done lots of different things there from not just admin but also on um, compliance side of things also on um, KYC know your customers that's about anti-money laundering business so uh, yeah I've dipped my finger in various different things while I've been there and yeah I'll just continue where, where do you see yourself in five years I see myself uh, having a global truly global company mm. so we've yet to launch one stream that I still want to do which is a system essentially to help people run their offices uh, so very different to the portal the portal is a resource and this will be more like a, a sort of tool that can be used to help you function in your office. Um, so I want to launch that, mm. want to grow this podcast so that it's much bigger. We've got 1500 listeners or listens now, something like that, and over 100 followers. So that's nice in our sort of, as we, we've just done our 10th episode, I think. But yeah, the portal and the course, which I know obviously mm. you've taken with us, I want to make more accessible at a global level I'm 40 this year and I am not stopping I've, I think I've got at least 20 years in me yet so and I think that that's something that I would love to see actually that that tool that you're talking about for helping people in office management roles because actually and this is one of the things why I loved finding the office management network because before that I felt like I was doing this on my own and I only found your network by Googling. I think it was something like, how can I get people to tidy up after themselves? And so the thing with your network is it isn't just that you're learning all of the really serious, nitty gritty health and safety, PPM requirements and all of the stuff that you really need to be doing in your role. But it's actually the more intangible things of how to how to develop people's culture that you're working with and, and getting the support from, from a network and, and yeah, helping you through that. Yeah, that's that's so funny because I think you'd shared that in the course actually, hadn't you, when we started that you said, I think I found you from Googling, just like you said, how do I get people to tidy up? And, and one of the banes of your life was your kitchen nightmares piece, wasn't it? I think on getting people to put stuff back in the dishwasher and take things back to the kitchen and so on. So it's it's hilarious like I, I love finding out how people found out about our network because some people it's quite simply office management templates or resources or training and they're the obvious ones but then there are some like your example where it's quite um unique and I guess because we've got blogs talking about kitchen nightmares and stuff it might have come up with that so we are so glad you found us so can you share some words of wisdom for our office manager listeners now who are who are tuned into this pod episode on how to be an office manager how to be an effective office manager maybe add value to their business please I would say it's actually something that I picked up from the advanced course so it, the really important thing of when you're starting in a role to spend that first three or four months reaching out getting to know all of the different people across the organization the different roles that people have what they need from you in in terms of what you're offering and I think that I have been at the organization where I am now for so long that I I didn't I probably went into this role already knowing quite a bit of information and probably relying on that and I could have done a bit more actually to reach out and understand 
what this new role meant. So it's definitely something that I um, I'm I'm conscious of, and and I'm and I'm making sure that I try and develop that as we go along. Yeah, it's really important. It might have been around the piece where I guess I say yeah within that first three months go out there and almost seek feedback on what's working what isn't but go and sit with each of the department heads if you can even if it's 10-15 minutes just sit and shadow them ask them a few questions like what are your pain points you know in the business as a whole or are there any particular times of year when you're more under the cosh than others and so on and so forth so that you know when they need something from you you can think oh it's that time of the year or month or week or whatever where they're, they're more pressured and therefore that's why they may be coming over going Hannah I really need this like right now and this isn't working or whatever it might be and you can have that empathy and that emotional intelligence there because you have some facts around what they do and their stresses and their highs and their lows and everything else so yeah it is really really invaluable to to go and do that and I don't think it matters particularly if you aren't new anymore and you haven't ever gone out and done that I think it's relationship building it's being strategic and it's showing people that you are trying to be more empathic and more um, emotionally tuned in to their their needs, as you say, and, and what you offer them. So, yeah, I think that's really clever. Thank you for sharing that one. So question, we've touched on it just a second ago, but you have been to quite a few of our events now since you got into the network, some of the sort of casual networking events, the office management show that we ran in April. And I feel like you have found this good network of people among some of the members and we, we won't name who they are but if you are listening you know who you are and it's important I think to to recognize that but is it important to you now that you've found this network and what value do you get from from that particularly the physical elements of it and seeing other office managers yeah for me it's been the most valuable thing to find the network so it you know of course there's all of the information on the portal and there's the templates that help you with the theoretical stuff but actually having people that you can talk to um, that resonate with what you're going through or what challenges you're facing um, you know and, and one of the most valuable things as well from this network is meeting uh, other individuals and actually going along to their office seeing how they carry out their role um the amount of tips that i've picked up from that has been has been incredible and um you know i wouldn't i just wouldn't have come across these people had i not have come across the office management portal and gone on the training so there's there's nothing like peer learning in my experience but that's also because I'm quite a practical person for me I get a lot out of that you know learning from what other people have done learning from other people's mistakes um, and sharing and sharing mine yeah I love it It it's really important and we all learn from mistakes so if we're sharing our our own mistakes with each other you're you're quite right we can all learn a little little sooner and a little faster together so yeah that growth is very key well, thank you so much, Kate. It's been lovely to chat to you and find out much more about you and hear you're still laughing about it. Um, your you won't believe it, but story because that one is a corker for me and probably, yeah, as I say, one of my favourites. It might be an all-time. We'll we'll have to see if anyone can top it on future episodes of the Office Manager Diaries. But thank you for being our guest this week. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure and I can't wait to see you at the awards. Yes, two weeks to go. I will see you soon. This episode of the Office Manager Diaries is sponsored by the Office Management Awards, a global awards programme aimed at recognising, rewarding and celebrating office management professionals around the world. 
Tickets to this year's ceremony are on sale now, taking place in London on Thursday the 15th of June. For more information, go to www.theofficemanagementgroup.com forward slash the hyphen awards and we really hope to see you there.